0: 3.30 in the morning, like this this morning, because it was just, there's just so much more to say about her life, and um, you know, I think she'll be challenging, um, and I, I think she'll be someone that's really good for us to emulate. So um, with that introduction, um, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, we're going to go to some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and right, we're going to start in verse 57, It right, says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, him being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. May you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we ask that you would be with us tonight. Would we invite your presence into our hearts and into our minds. Lord, just come and be the ruler and king of our lives. Holy Spirit, we give you the right and the authority to speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, how many of y'all have heard of Catherine Booth before? Anyone? So just a handful of all staff people. (laughs) Excellent. That's probably because I talked about her at staff, so that's fine. Um, Catherine Booth, um, we have a picture, there. there she is. She was called by George Bernard Shaw, noted like atheist and general grumpy man, as being the least photogenic person on earth. So not not kind words, but that's Catherine right there. So Catherine Booth uh, came to be known as the mother of the Salvation Army. Perhaps you all have heard of the Salvation Army, right? Yeah. So it's either that place where you go that's not goodwill, but still have secondhand stuff. Yeah, my wife found a an F.W. Borum book at the Salvation Army here in town one time. And wow. For those of you that aren't into books, that's like, borum's usually like $35 to $50, but she found it for $75, cents, so praise God. Anyway, the Lord blesses us. It's amazing. So uh, the Salvation Army, right, you either think of that place as not Goodwill, but still you you can buy dirty clothes at, or, or they're the weird people that stand outside of Walmart with their like red kettles and rainbow bells. You know what I'm talking about? And so for us, like Salvation Army, big deal, who cares? Like mother of that. Cool. You know, Khaleesi's the mother of dragons, you know, whatever. Game of Thrones, anybody? Good, because that show is trash. Anyway. Um, but the Salvation Army, what they are now, is, is just kind of a like a, a faint shadow of who they were before. Before they were a group of just absolutely radicalized Christians. That put their hands to work in the reformation of people's souls and the reformation of people's lives, like they were incredible. If you want to have some fun, read about the history of the Salvation Army. Right, when Catherine was born, Catherine Mumford, she didn't have any sons. Well, she did have some sons in 1829 in England to a Methodist family. And so this was 1829 was when she was born. So she was she lived through Victorian England. Right? So, Victorian England, it's completely different, right? Hollywood likes to do movies and shows about Victorian England that's completely different. Like, I saw one recently called Bridgerton. It was on Netflix. Trash. Absolutely trash. Um, I, I didn't watch it. I saw the trailer for it and I was like, that's really dumb. It's incredibly stupid, right? So, like, you'll watch, you watch like movies about Jane Eyre or whatever, right, and, and you'll see Victorian England. It was not how they showed it, right? It was grimy, it was dirty, and if you look at how Catherine is dressed, that was the style, right? That was the style, that's how women dressed. It was, at that time, it was considered like, it was considered like, racy, if your tablecloth didn't drape all the way down and cover the legs of your table, because you didn't even want to see the legs of the table, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Lord knows what that'll do to a man's psyche, right? Pregnant women, when they began to show, they weren't allowed outside of their house because then everybody would know what horrible sins they had been doing with their husbands. Like, I'm not exaggerating, this is all true. It was really, really hard to be a woman in Victorian England. That's just how it was, right? It's just like, it's basically the English version of like Saudi Arabia's Sharia law right now, right? That's what we're talking about, that level of oppression. Right? So early in her life, her mother raised her in a very strict, in, in the very strict social values of the Methodist Church. Right, so not only was Victoria New England really impressive towards women, but then she was like, she was like, like, you know, extremist in her views, and moralism. Does that make sense? Right? So she was like the Shiite of, of like the Victorians, right? Can I throw in more references there? Okay, um, so her mother raised her very strict. Um, her mother didn't trust public schools at the time because they, she thought Victorian England public schools would corrupt her child, right? I wonder what she's thinking about the, the public schools now, right? So um, her mother was particularly focused on avoiding social evils, right? alcoholism, prostitution, witchcraft, you know, how it goes, right? All of the usual things. When Catherine was in her early pubescence, she was diagnosed with a severely curved spine. And so in her early teens, she had to spend much of her time laying flat on her back in her bed. And because of that, she became just an absolutely voracious reader. By the age of 12, she had reportedly read the entire Bible through eight times. By her late teens, she had mastered Biblical Greek, had mastered the early church fathers, and was writing pamphlets about the evils of alcoholism and child abuse under pseudonyms. Can you imagine that? Right, Just some teenage girl cranking that stuff out, right? As well as also reading all that she could get her hands on of Charles Finney and John Wesley, who are two people that you should look up as well. In her late teens, her family moved to Clapham, England, and if you've ever read about William Wilberforce, you will know how important Clapham, England, is. Like there was a group there that were just—they were very, very extremist in their views, right? And it was there that she became radicalized. She became convinced. That the church, Big Sea Church in England, was able to help lift the poor out of their miserable state of poverty in both the material and spiritual sense. She thought the church was fully capable of correcting all of the ills of society right then and there. There didn't need to be any additives, they didn't need to wait until, you know, like Jesus came back to set everything straight. She was convinced that the Big Sea Church could do it then and there in her lifetime. And it was around this time in Clapham that she met her husband, William Booth. He was a young firebrand preacher and they met at the age of 22. And their, their meeting must have been something like, uh, like they lock eyes and just like, oh, you're my kind of crazy, huh? All right, let's do this. Like, it had to have been that because they are just, I uh, I could probably talk about William Booth next week if I wanted to because he is just as crazy. Right? <laughs> After a three-year engagement, they were wed. And they used all of the money they had been given for a wedding and a honeymoon to help start their ministerial careers. Right? They were on their honeymoon in Brixton, London, and her husband was preaching. Right? If you know anything about Brixton, it's not a honeymoon place. No right? claim. So they launched into the ministerial careers at the same time they got married, and they were run out of churches left and right for their unorthodox styles and religion. Among those unorthodox beliefs was that Catherine was convinced that women should be allowed to preach and to teach. So, in 1859, she published a pamphlet called "Female Teaching." You can find it online if you want to read it. It's uh, it's something, right? And it was a treatise on allowing women to preach. It is incredible. It's really good, right? One of the arguments that she commonly got was that Adam, that Eve was placed in subjection to Adam after the fall. And so she acknowledged that the fall had put women into subjection as a consequence of sin. But, she said, to leave them there was to reject the goodness of the gospel, which proclaimed that the grace of Christ had restored what sin had taken away. Now all men and women were one in Christ. Holy smokes, that's the level of intellect we're talking about, right? This woman razor sharp, okay? Her husband William was uncomfortable with the idea of women preaching. So not only does all of society think this is stupid, but her husband's like, I don't know how I feel about that. Her husband, William, would say, I would not stop a woman from preaching on any account, but neither would I encourage one to begin." He didn't last long. The next year, she started her preaching career, and she soon showed herself to be a gifted preacher. These are some of the comments that people said about Remember what context we're in, right? Victorian England, where women have to dress like that, right? This is what people said about her preaching. She reminded me again and again of counsel, pleading with judge and jury for the life of a prisoner. The fixed attention of the court, the mastery of facts, the absolute self-forgetfulness of the advocate, the ebb and flow of feeling, the hush during the vital passages, all were there. Another man said, if ever I am charged with a crime, don't bother to get any of the great lawyers to visit me. Get that woman." Over the following two and a half decades, she became one of the most in-demand preachers in all of the world. She was out revivalists like D.L. Moody, when he would visit. She would draw larger crowds in audience, but also would draw the larger crowds in the altars. But William and Catherine were still unsatisfied, seeing much work needed to be done. So in 1865, they founded the Christian Mission in East London, among the poorest of the poor. This later became known as the Salvation Army. The Sallies, as they, became, became, they uh, came to be known, dove headfirst into open-air preaching, evangelism, and charity. They were beaten in the streets, accosted during their sermons, and had their lives threatened. William's health started to fail him soon after, so Catherine took on a larger role and is responsible for guiding the early leaders of the Salvation Army. She also wrote the majority of their theology, doctrine, and practices. The creed of the Salvation Army was, with our hearts to God, we pledge our hands to man. And with the marching orders that Catherine thought of, of soup, soap, and salvation, they opened soup kitchens for the hungry, found homes for homeless, founded hospitals for the sick, save houses for the abused, and planted evangelistic missions among the lost, mostly funded by Catherine's powerful ministry among the rich and wealthy, she would pierce their hearts with her words, and they would open their pocketbooks and support the work that her and her husband would do. It was around this time that she also turned her attention to sex traffic. During this time, roughly 20% of women in London were engaged in prostitution. And the kingpins of this empire of lust were even members of the royal family themselves. Young, underage girls from the countryside would be sold under the pretense of being indentured servants in upscale neighborhoods, but would actual, in actuality be sold to brothels and forced to work. Some girls were smuggled out of the country and nailed into coffins to be snuck out past the border guards, put onto ships and places in the brothels all over Western Europe. Catherine Booth said, I felt as though I must go and walk the street and besiege the dens where these hellish iniquities were going on. To keep quiet seemed like being a traitor to humanity. Catherine and several others went undercover, posing as traffickers, and documented everything. After three years, they published an expose in all of the local newspapers, and almost single-handedly brought down the entire tree all together. Members of the royal family were arrested and thrown in prison. It was a big shame uh, and a mark against Queen Victoria herself. And for this act, Catherine and her compatriots were placed in prison. While in prison, She got legislation passed for the protection of women and children in all areas from domestic abuse to workplace regulations. She was considered a radical and a domestic disturber and went head-to-head with even anarchist terrorist groups. She found herself serving prison sentences, getting released, then only finding herself arrested again and having to serve another prison sentence in another location. Is she radical enough, Maria? Is she doing enough? She was once invited to a clandestine meeting, this is one of my favorite stories about her, she was once invited to a clandestine meeting for political radicals wanting to reform society. After listening to anarchists, socialists, and the like rant for hours about the ills of society, she remarked, gentlemen, the difference between you and I is that you are talking about changing the world, and I am actually doing it. Mic (laughs) drop. All of this while having six children in 10 years and adopting two more. She inspired young women all across England to become powerful witnesses in their preaching and their actions. And oversaw the exponential growth of the salvation army during its early years. All All the young women in the salvation army became known as the Hallelujah Lassies because they would start every sermon by saying Hallelujah. You can read stories about them. I almost put a story in here about two 18-year-old girls that were decided by Catherine that went on to lead a revival amongst the coal miners in Wales. And their meetings would draw, two 18-year-old girls, their meetings would draw 700 coal miners. They planted a church after those meetings. That church was 145 members. Just two 18-year-old girls inspired by the life of Catherine Booth. Isn't that amazing? Oh, before I forget, she also wrote eight books. (laughs) Finally, in 1890, at the age of 61, she succumbed to breast cancer. And in the sayings of the Salvation Army, she was promoted to court. In 30 short years of ministry, she accomplished more than some entire denominations of Christianity have accomplished in all of What are we to do in view of a life such as this? What are we to do in view of a life such as this? When I think about the life of Catherine, I think about um, the scene from Lord of the Rings, okay? Uh, In the movie The Two Towers, it's like 20 years old, so sorry. There's no spoiler. You're getting spoiled. but anyway. Um, In the movie The Two Towers... The kingdom led by King Theoden is under attack and, and they're about to collapse, right? The enemy is pressing in and it's just him and a small band of warriors trapped in the last bunkered hall that they have. The rest of the castle has been taken over and Theoden despondent and says, so much death. What can man do against such reckless hate? To which Aragorn, the would king, says right out with me, ride out and meet them. I love this because this is the answer. What can you do in the face of such pain and suffering? Ride out and meet it, headlong. them all. Because to do anything else would seem like a betrayal to humanity itself. If anyone ever put their hand to the plow and did not look back, it was Catherine Booth. She faced so many obstacles from society's view of women at the time, the demands of family, to the very rulers that she lived under. But she sought first the kingdom of God. She neither looked to the left nor the right. She trusted that God would make a way for her to move forward to accomplish the great work before her, the redemption of a broken world and the reconciliation of the lost back to their Father. See, the Salvation Army, I love them because they walk that thin line, social change and soul change. Oftentimes we can get focused on one one or the other. So many churches have gotten derailed when they focus too much on social change. Or neglect the needs of the people around them when they focus only on soul change. It's easy for us to get wrapped up in social causes and lose sight of the greatest cause cause of Christ, and his kingdom. And here's what Catherine and William understood. That the kingdom is not something that you go to. The kingdom is something that you bring. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. I love their saying, I've never forgotten since the first time I read it. With our hearts to God we pledge our hands Man. It is cheap and easy for us to flip that around and say, with our hearts to man, we pledge our hands to God and to do things for the motive of humanity. William and Catherine Booth did more than any of their contemporaries for the motive of Jesus. There's so many more things I could talk about with the Salvation Army. In Catherine Booth's life, we have barely scratched the surface. I encourage you, I encourage you to get a biography about her. There's a, an amazing biography about the foundation of the Salvation Army by Richard Collier called "The General Next to God." It's not a small book, but it's a good one. And when you get into that, Richard Collier is not a Christian. So as praise, the salvation army is even more amazing.
1: Before we can even begin to go down the
0: road that Catherine Booth walked, we must obey Jesus and His call on our lives to make disciples. Before we can even begin to change the world around us, we must first change the souls around us. This coming semester, we have one of the greatest opportunities that I have ever seen in the 20 years of campus ministry I, that I have been doing. We have two classes of students, last year's freshmen and this incoming class of freshmen that have been deprived of true friendship and true social interaction because of an inconvenience There's not going to be an excuse for us to not be able to meet people. There's just not. You will all face challenges and pressures to prevent you from fulfilling God's mission on our campus. Just like Catherine did. You will be tempted to succumb to the demands of convenience. Are you willing to set aside that alone time to spend time with the new student you met? Will you approach that lonely student eating by themselves at the UC? Will you drive that international student to the store so that they can buy groceries? These are all terribly inconvenient. If you say, Jesus, I would rather not be inconvenience, he would say to you, foxes have and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Walking with Jesus is terribly inconvenient. It must be very inconvenient to not have a home. The work of the kingdom of God is inconvenient and we must forego many of our old comforts so that someone else can know him. What an inconvenience do you think it was for Jesus to come down? walk amongst us, die on a cross. I'd say that's a bit of a detour. But he did. And even if you were the only person that turned around and was reconciled to him, he would still do it. Because there's no inconvenience that is larger than a soul.
1: You will be asked to succumb succumb
0: to the demands of family, just like Catherine was. Are you willing to skip that family gathering or that visit home that you've been planning so that you can build a relationship with the people God has entrusted to you? Will you came to your parents, friends, and family when they ask you, why are you wasting all your time with that religious group? Are you a part of a cult Will you allow the demands of your family, society, or culture to dictate what percentage of your life you are willing to surrender to Jesus? Lord, let me go and bury my father first. I have these societal, social, and familial obligations that I have to meet. You don't understand Jesus. That's just what we do here. And Jesus would say to you, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The work of the kingdom is the greatest work and the highest honor. Jesus would not give us the commandment to honor thy mother and father if it contradicted the work of his kingdom. For what, I ask you, is more honorable than for a parent to be able to say to their father in heaven, my child made themselves about returning their children to yourself. Mm-hmm. Lastly, when you succumb to the demands of distraction, are you willing to take a B in a class where you could have had an A in order to win a soul? Is a five point drop or whatever, point five drop in your GPA worth someone knowing Jesus?
1: Will you allow blossoming romantic relationships to replace flowering
0: salvation in the hearts of those around you in your smallness? Will you allow the success or notoriety of the work of others to extinguish the small but intense flame of the Holy Spirit and the work God is doing in and through you? But Jesus, you understand. I had to go back to this class. I had to make really good grades, otherwise my parents would be mad. But Jesus, I really like this boy. But Jesus, this is the first girl that's ever looked at me. (laughs) It's super important. But Jesus, why should I even try to lead a small group? I've only got one person, and my friend has 12. Why should I even try? Jesus would say to you, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. The work of the kingdom is singular in focus. We work in sacrifice, whether in success or failure, all to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, from one person and one person alone. These are the truths That I see in the life of Catherine Not once did she allow the demands of convenience to overrule the demands of the kingdom. Not once did she allow the demands of the family to overrule the demands of the father. Never did she allow demands of distraction to overtake her singular focus on reconciling the lost to Jesus. In light of the biblical truth that shines through the life of Catholic youth, let us be inspired to see the kingdom of God grow on our campus. We are left without excuse. Jesus makes it so through his word and through the testimony of those that have gone before us. And those of you that are sitting in here and thinking, I'm not a small group leader, that doesn't mean you can't make friends. That doesn't mean you can't sit down next to that person that has no one to talk to. Because ultimately, that's how the kingdom of God expands. The kingdom of God grows through relationships, and there's no rule and no law against you building relationships with the people around you, in your classes, you your eating lunch on campus, when you're walking to and from class. Co-workers, waitresses, If we, like Catherine, remain singularly focused, we can see incredible work on our campus. Mm -hmm. Then we can see it become Angelo State Bible College, which would be (laughs) legit. Yeah. But I don't think, honestly, a song and altar call is appropriate. I just don't feel like it is because. The life of Catherine was so challenging. Like, really, guys, I I barely scratched the surface. You have no idea how lunatic this woman was. She was amazing. I really want to encourage you all to read about her, if you you like. More than that, I I want her life to challenge you. Let it be a review to us where it needs to be. And so the best response that we can have is the response that we show our on during this fall. During Ram Week. During dorm movements, When it's 1,000 degrees and the sun is actively trying to murder you <laughs> while you carry a dorm fridge. Thank God Concho are abandoned, right? Amen. <laughs> yeah. I love what Andrew said two weeks ago. The only difference between Catholic and us is that we think that there's a difference. So let us not think that there's a difference anymore. Let's just be singularly focused, like Catherine was. So I'm gonna pray, and then we'll dismiss, and we'll show Jesus that our hearts have been changed by our actions when the students come.